Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. Bible's with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 7. We're getting, getting out of that dark chapter and uh, you know there was a lot of richness a lot of great stuff but a lot of uh, foreboding things in chapter 6 we're getting at chapter 7 and remember we continue to look at um, as the author is speaking to Christian Jews he's continuing to help them see why you need to hold course in Christ and don't go backwards don't go back to the old system don't retreat because of persecution or trouble and think no I gotta go back to the law of Moses move forward in grace you know so far we've seen that Christ is superior to everything in the old covenant and that's really the purpose of the writing of the book is to let the the readers know there's nothing back there for you because all the fulfillment of the law and the, the festivals and everything that you experienced in the old covenant, the fulfillment is found in the new covenant and in Christ. And there's nothing for you back there. And it was a, it's a shell, an empty shell, because the cocoon is broken open and the butterflies come out. Don't worship the, the empty cocoon. The butterflies, boy, where did that come from? Just came from the top of my head. Okay, um, so... We're looking, we've been looking at how Christ is superior of all the prophets of the Old Testament, all the animal sacrifices required by law. It's all been replaced by the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Moses and Aaron and the Levitical priesthood. We've looked at Moses and Aaron, but we're going to be focusing a lot in this chapter about the Levitical priesthood and how it's been totally superseded and replaced by an entirely new priesthood, and we're getting the introduction to that today. So as we continue to study what the, what the first century Hebrew Christian had to deal with, we're now looking at the all-important topic of the priesthood. And the first Jewish believers, they were wrestling with this, and, and they were, like I told you many times, they were wrestling with the temptation to go back to the old. You ever, you ever feel like that? You want to go back to what you're comfortable with? You know, this is new, this whole Christian stuff, and I want to go back to the, I'm comfortable with that. Even people who've left cults, and they've left false religion, and they find Christ, or whether it's, whether it's the world religions like Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism, and it's, there's, there's a temptation to want to go back to what you grew up with, what you're comfortable with. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, don't you go back and trade in what is precious to what was just a, a shell, just a shadow of what was to come. Because everything we need is found in Christ. All the new covenant, the gospel of grace, it, it, it's... That's what we need. So, uh, now the Levitical priesthood and all that comes with it has now been fulfilled 
in the eternal priesthood of Christ. By the way, we've been looking at this character called Melchizedek. Uh, I don't recommend you name your kids Melchizedek. It's just an odd name. Uh, there was only one, as far as I know anyway. And this character becomes now the focal point of chapter 7. We've touched on him a couple times. As a matter of fact, he's only found 11 times in Scripture. He's found in the, once in the book of Genesis. We're, we're going to look at that today. Once in Psalm 110, verse 4, uh, and the growth groups will look at that. Nine times in Hebrews, and six times right here in chapter 7, we're going to look at it, okay? So at first, the writer of Hebrews said that his Hebrew readers, uh, you know, he said earlier that, I want to talk about Melchizedek, but you're too dull of hearing. That was in chapter 5, verse 11. He goes, I have so much to say about him, but you're kind of thick right now. I don't know if I want to even touch on it. And as he kept writing on and laying some more groundwork, by the time he got to chapter 6, verse 20, uh, he talks about Melchizedek again. He talks about Jesus having come, excuse me, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Wait, there was an order of priesthood that Melchizedek had that we didn't know about all this time? And now Jesus has come in the order of Melchizedek? Kind of mystery. There's, oh, there's so much mystery in this man, Melchizedek. So, Father, as we look at your word now, we pray that you would show us what we need to see. And, Lord, even though I, you know, Lord, I've got pages of notes, but filter it, Lord. Show me where to spend time. Show me where to skip a stone. Show us where to camp and show us where to hike on. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us just what we need this morning. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Speak generally as we need to know doctrine, but speak personally as we need a personal word from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at our text today. Today I decided we're going to cover the first 10 verses of Hebrews chapter 7. And let's look at that. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, I'll tell you about that in a moment, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but is made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he who whose genealogy is not received from them, Melchizedek, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the greater. We can't let the talk about here. Verse 8, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham so to speak. Now, I, I want to talk about this more, but the, the, in Jewish thinking, uh, the, the Levite, all the Levites and priests, they were in the loins of Abraham. They all came from Abraham's descendants. And when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, that means all the priesthood who received tithes were actually paying tithes 
to uh, Melchizedek. Kind of interesting. It's Jewish thinking. Uh, verse 10 says, For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So much to look at, so much to sort through. We all know about Abraham, you know, the father of faith, the father of all the Jews. And from Abraham came Moses and Aaron and the entire uh, family of the Levitical priesthood, and they're greatly revered by the Jews. But here we're told of a priest of the Most High God back in the time of Genesis who actually received a tithe from Abraham, implying that this man, Melchizedek's priesthood, hold, held a higher rank than all who came after him and all who came th from the loins of uh, Abraham, the law of Moses, and the Levitical priesthood. So the writer of this letter is going to develop this theme of Jesus being our great high priest, greater and, and replacing all the high priests that came before him. Do you see how this would be valuable? For a Christian Jew living in this time, he needed to see this because he wants to keep going back, hold on to that old Levitical priesthood, keep going back to the temple, doing the sacrifices, go back to the old ways. But I told you in a few years after this book was written, the Romans sacked Jerusalem and all the temple activities came to a screeching halt anyway. So they really needed to get this before that took place, okay? Now, as a part of the argument of this book, he points to this man who Abraham gave a tenth of all the spoils to, and that was Melchizedek. It's found in Genesis 14, and Abraham had, here's the background. We want to look there. You might want to turn to it if you want to, Genesis chapter 14. But Abraham had just defeated a group of bully kings who were like ruling the land and over, kind of demanding payment, kind of like the mafia. You know, if you don't want anybody to attack you, pay us and we'll protect you. It was that kind of thing going on. You know, that's nothing new. It's been going on forever. And so these mafia-type kings were ruling, and finally the, the, the kings that were being ruled by the bully kings decided to over, try to overthrow them, and it didn't go well. As a matter of fact, one of the uh, lands was the king of Lot, of king of Lot, king of Sodom, where Lot lived. Remember, if you know your Bible, you know Lot had moved to Sodom. And so in this process, when the wars took place, these bully kings ransacked uh, Sodom and took Lot and his family captive, and they're on their way back home, and Abraham heard about it. So Abraham got together like 300-something men and did a surprise attack and actually rescued his nephew Lot, and it says that they went running, uh, the enemies went running, and they got all this booty, all this, the, all kinds of spoils of war, which is, if you think about it, <clears throat> these kings had already ransacked all the other lands, so they've got gold and whatever they considered valuable at the time, they collected and they're taken back home. Now Abraham overthrows those kings, and he gets all of the goodies from them. So he's He's got all this wealth and all this money and booty. He's heading back home. And on the way back from this great victory, Abraham meets Melchizedek, this character who we never heard about before, and now he just shows up all of a sudden in Genesis chapter 14. If you found it by now, we're going to look at verse 18. I'm just going to read a couple verses <clears throat> to give you a picture of this. It says, as Abraham's traveling back home with all of the spoils, then Melchizedek king of Salem brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, saying, Blessed be Abram. Matter of fact, by the way, this was before Abraham was called Abraham. He was called Abram at the time. God changed his name. 
father of many nations. Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, meaning that the God who, not, not Abraham doesn't possess it, the God who possesses heaven and earth, Abraham is Abram was of this God. He says, then blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He's giving God the credit. The reason why you won is because God gave you the victory. And then the last line here is Abraham's response or Abram's response to Melchizedek. It says, he gave him a tithe of all. And interesting, there's so much to talk about here. Because we talk about tithing as a, uh, a system from the law of Moses. And we're going to talk about tithing a little bit today since it's brought up so much in our text. But you notice tithing didn't just originate in the law of Moses. It was a tradition of long ago. And Abraham gives a tenth of all of his spoils, all of his riches from that battle to Melchizedek. Now, we're going to turn back to Hebrews chapter 7. And let's read Hebrews commentary on Genesis 14, okay? And we're just going to take it piece by piece. Let's look at the first three verses. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Man, I want to stop there. There's so much in here. One more. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, <laughs> mystery man, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. If you're paying attention, you might think all we need to cover today is three verses. <laughs> There's a lot in here. There's a lot of mystery to solve. So I, I put a place in your fill-ins so that you could start writing down some things about Melchizedek. I've got a lot to tell you. It's called, What Do We Learn About Melchizedek? from, from uh, Genesis 14, from Hebrews 7. And we're not stopping today. We're going to probably take the next couple weeks looking at this character. Now, first of all, we see that his name means something. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. We're also told in verse 1 that he was also king of Salem. Salem is the ancient word for Jerusalem, see? So it's the ancient city of Jerusalem. Salem also in itself means peace. So, you know, uh, Salem is, is related to the Hebrew word shalom, shalom, Salem, okay? And so uh, it's kind of symbolic and real at the same time. We, but something else odd, that if you're a Bible student should strike you about Melchizedek. He was both a king and a priest. This was really an, an anomaly because priests weren't supposed to be kings and kings weren't supposed to be priests. As a matter of fact, if you study in the Old Testament, whenever a king decided he was such a big shot that he was going to do priestly duties, he got in big trouble with God. Uh, Uzziah, I think, was one of them. There's several different priests or kings who got in trouble trying to do sacrifices, trying to do priestly duties. But this guy Melchizedek was pro uh, totally appropriate that he was both king and priest. We also see in verse 1, the last part of verse 1, that he was the priest of the Most High God. And so what we're going to look for and what we're going to see pretty clearly when we look at Melchizedek is 
types of Christ. I've told you last week that Melchizedek was a true historical character, and at the same time, he was also a type, a picture of Jesus Christ. And so just calling him the priest of the Most High God, there's a real tip right there, okay? So we're going to look for types. Now, if you, if you were paying attention when we went through Genesis 14, and I read you those few verses, there's some real clear types right there. In Genesis 14, 18, we're told that he, was, um, he, he brought bread and wine. So he brings bread and wine. Doesn't that kind of remind you of communion? Kind of feels like, you know, Jesus said, this is my body which was broken for you. This is my blood which was shed for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. So this Melchizedek, who's a type of Christ, brings bread and wine to Abraham. And uh, did you notice that also Melchizedek blessed Abraham? And, and the argument in Hebrews 7 is that the greater always blesses the lesser. And we see that in, in uh, verse 19. Then we also notice that um, not only does he bless Abraham, but he receives tithes, an act of worship, an act of surrender from Abraham in verse 20. All this makes Melchizedek very, very special, okay? Uh, not only a type of Christ, but there's something about him that you wonder, who was this guy? This is amazing. But even more special than that, look at verse 3 once more. Who was Melchizedek? Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest continually. Does that kind of trouble you? Does that kind of challenge you? Now, there are, there are two main lines of thinking about this. One is that when it says without father and mother, without genealogy, uh, many think, well, they left out all that stuff. He did have a father and a mother, and they, he did have a genealogy, but they left it out purposely so that he remain a good type of Christ. And so it's not that he didn't have a father and mother, didn't have uh, a genealogy, but it was left out purposely so the type would be complete. There's another line of thinking that many theologians believe that he was without mother, without father, and of course, some think he was an angel. I don't think that's at all. Some think he was divine. Or some think he was what we call a Christophany. A Christophany is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Now, I think last week I was leaning towards and even kind of hinted that he was a type of Christ. The more I study this, the more I'm thinking, darn, I think, I think that was Jesus. You know, so, you know, it's funny. As I've listened to some of my favorite pastors and teachers, they're, they're split down the middle on this. Some say he was just a type. Others say he was. Several of the ones I really uh, love and appreciate and listen to often t tell me that, oh, I think he was actually Jesus, uh, a Christophany, okay? So, now, it's a great debate, but why the confusion? Why isn't it very clear? Well, for one thing, if you look at verse 3 again, it says that he was made like the Son of God. It doesn't say he was the Son of God. So the argument from the theologians who think he was just a type will say, well, it, if it was Jesus, they would just say he was Jesus, but they didn't. They said he was like, made, made like, okay? Uh, but also look at in verse 3, it says, he remains a priest continually. So the priesthood where Melchizedek the order of Melchizedek is we don't keep replacing priests when they die, like the high priest system and the Levitical system, this priesthood 
Melchizedek is it. He remains a priest continually. Does that pose a problem? That makes me lean more towards he really was Jesus Christ. Okay. Also, in chapter 6, verse 20, we're told that um, Jesus, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So, and I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, Jesus was, he's not like following the order of somebody who was greater than him, going, oh, thank you, I'll, you can hand it off to me now. And as a matter of fact, it said that Melchizedek, we already read, remains a priest continually. And Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. What do you do with all that, okay? Have fun in your growth groups. But personally, you know, I'm leaning right now, I'm just leaning towards this was a Christophany, a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Because this was, this order was an eternal, ongoing priesthood, and you can't secede somebody if the original priest doesn't die or retire, right? And so uh, it's continually, that means no replacement. I'm leaning right now that this was Jesus Christ, a Christophany, as they call it. As a matter of fact, I've, I've given the growth group leaders links. If you want to really go deep on this, I've given several links uh, online that you could follow up examples of theophanies, an appearance of God in the Old Testament, and Christophanies, appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. You guys who aren't in growth groups, you don't get it. Okay, so I said this to the growth group leaders. Okay, now let's move on to verse 4. And I want you to see the Jewish thinking here. In verse 4, now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who were of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren though they have come from the loins of Abraham. How far am I reading? All the way. Uh, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them, he receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now I'm going to stop here because we already did read all these verses. Again, I'm not going to read them uh, too many times to you. You're going to go through them enough more times in your small groups. But I, I want you to see that the thinking is that Abraham paid tithes to this character Melchizedek. And Abraham's descendants came from his loins, even Moses and Aaron and Levitical priesthood, meaning they all were a part of Abraham when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. And in Jewish thinking, that means Melchizedek is greater than Abraham and all who came from him, implying the Levitical priesthood. And so um, this, this is the Jewish thinking. Of course, people today are thinking that in other ways. Okay, now... Um, since we're looking at the topic here of Abraham tithing to Melchizedek, I feel like it's good timing for me to at least touch on tithing. Okay, now I'm not gonna—we're not taking an offering. <coughs> I know pastors who love to teach on tithing. Now they're gonna pass the bucket. Have you noticed we've never passed a bucket? We've never put a bag or a bucket in front of you and says give. We've got a little box in the back and people give. But I think it's actually good timing because we're in a place right now in our, um, our finances that I've never, I, I, I try to avoid talking about money to people unless we give 
to a missionary, we've supported somebody, I want to let you know about it. Even that sometimes I neglect it. So we're going to talk a little bit about tithing. And so in your notes, you've got, uh, these are your next four fill-ins or more, okay? So there's four principles concerning Christian giving, okay? And the first one is this. Giving is an act of worship and love. Giving is an act of worship and love. It's not crack the whip, and if you want to be a member of this club, you better pay your dues. That's not what tithing or offerings are about. It's an act of worship to the Lord and loving your brethren. Uh, think about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're told that don't you know that your body is not your own? You're a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you don't even belong to yourself. You belong to God. And so in New Testament thinking, it's not like, well, I give God his portion. It's I, God owns me, I belong to God, and everything I have belongs to God, okay? And so that's the thinking. And so as a part of your worship, I remember when I was on staff at Calvary Boise, I quite often was the one who prayed over the offering. We used to take up offering. We used to pass the bucket back there. And um, I used to be the one who'd pray over it. And I always would say, Lord, accept our worship in giving. You know, we worship you now in our giving. And I really believe that um, giving is a very legitimate form of worship. You could sing and keep your money. You could sing and keep your life and not give any of your life or time or energy to the Lord. But, you know, the, if something has your wallet, they got you, you know? You could tell what's important to people by where they spend their money or, or charge it, whatever. You could tell people's priorities by what they do with their money. And so giving is an act of worship and love. Now, let's move along. Verse uh, number two. We're to give with a generous and cheerful heart. Cheerful. It's not an obligatory thing. I actually know churches, uh, and usually it's the cult-type churches, that they keep track who's giving and who's not. And if, you, if you're not giving your tithes, Hello, this is Brother Sasso. I'm here to ask you about your tithes. I notice you haven't been giving your tithes lately. You're, matter of fact, you're about six months behind. We'll send you the bill. I mean, weird stuff. I've heard stories about, especially the cults, they keep track. By the way, I don't know who gives. I don't know what you give. I don't want to know because I might treat you different if I knew, okay? hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.